It is certainly a privilege and an honor to be in the presence of our God today, to worship Him as He has commanded us to do, but it is also a privilege to worship Him and to be a part of a group of Christians, men and women who care about spiritual things. And you are here because you care about those same spiritual things, and I invite you to take your Bibles and follow along and see whether or not the things that we talk about today are indeed from God's Word. If you find them to be true, then put them into practice as we are all trying to do. If you find them to be false, then let me know so that we are not doing anything that we should not be doing. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Second Peter, where we're going to spend most of our time together this morning. Glad to have so many visitors with us, people from the community, those that have moved to the area or those that are traveling, and we're glad to have you as well as our regular members and the concern that you have for the work that goes on here at Northfield Boulevard. Second Peter is where we'll be spending most of our time together today. As we get older, there are certain things that become true. We accumulate uh, more things. Uh, we accumulate sometimes more pounds. Uh, and the other thing that we seem to accumulate more, at least for me, is more keys. Uh, you have a keychain you may have either hanging near your door or that you use when you drive from one place to another. And if you're like me, you have keys that you don't even know what they go to anymore. But you don't want to throw them away. Because they might be useful at some point. And the moment you throw them away, the next week you're going to say, well, now I can't get into that door or unlock that padlock that I just threw the key away for. There are certain keys to living life, and there are a lot of them, and all of them are necessary from a spiritual point of view. And there are no unnecessary keys in spiritual life. Every key that the Bible gives us in, in order to live faithfully, they are not spare keys. They are essential keys that we keep with us at all time. Well, I want to use that idea of keys as we think about Second Peter, and I want to come up with four keys to life. And you may say, well, I, I, I can think of another four from Second Peter. Well, these are four that jumped out to me from the text of 2 Peter. It's a relatively short book of the Bible, and we're going to spend our time reading different passages in 2 Peter today that will help us to understand these four lessons or four keys to life. And again, we're very glad to have you here with us this morning. By way of introduction, 2 Peter is really a book in many ways about the truth that has been delivered to all saints and to all people. That is, for saints, those of us who are Christians, it is the truth. And it is also the truth for those who have yet to obey the truth. Just because a person doesn't obey God's word doesn't make God's word invalid because it is true that we follow these particular things. But truth is absolute and it is a matter of life and death. We don't know the exact time or the exact year in which Second Peter was written, of course, by the Apostle Peter. It's one of two of the books, the other one being First Peter. But most conclude that it was written sometime in the mid-60s, perhaps the late 60s. Some argued the early 60s. But Peter was inspired to communicate on some difficult matters, things like false teaching and things like the end of times and being ready for all the things that are going to come when this world comes to 
an end. It is, it seems to me, at the very core, a universal letter in that even though it was written almost 2,000 years ago, and this is true with every book of the Bible, the themes found within are universally applied to us today because we are members of the like precious faith. You'll sometimes hear uh, a, a brother in Christ lead us in prayer and make reference to the like precious faith. And he is choosing to quote from the book of Second Peter in this particular occasion. Uh, and the other thing that I want us to really appreciate is in verse 3 of chapter 1, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has given us everything we need to know in order to live. And it seems to me that we can nicely surmise chapters 1, 2, and 3 into four different keys that will help us as Christians, that will help us in our walk with one another, and that will certainly be advantageous in helping us to be the kinds of men and women that we need to be in the world today in trying to convert others to Christ. I want to start with key number one, and that is we need to fully depend on Scripture. Not partially depend on Scripture, but fully depend on Scripture. And there's a difference between that in the sense that many in the world, religiously and otherwise, will say, well, I believe in the Bible, but how much do we really anchor ourselves in God's Word in the Scripture? We need to completely devote ourselves to God's Word because God's Word is inspired. It is not something that came by the will of man, and it should be considered for what it is, perfect in every way. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for all those things that Paul lists there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, so that the man of God may be completely furnished or thoroughly equipped unto every good work. God has given us everything we need in order to live our lives for him. You know, it would, uh, you could argue, be unfair that God gave us the book and then left out certain things, but he didn't. He gave us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Those of us who are members of the like precious faith, we appreciate God's word. I want to look at two passages here in 2 Peter, first in chapter 1, and then I want us to jump over to chapter 3. And I want to read beginning in verse 16. The first few verses of 2 Peter are probably familiar to you, uh, just as as an aside, because this is where we say we add to our faith, the virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godless. We've talked about that before, but I want to drop down to verse 16, where the text says, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. We're familiar with that. That was a quote from Matthew chapter 17 with what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's also true back in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus was baptized. We heard this voice which came from heaven when we were on that holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. A light that shines in a dark place, verse 19. Verse 19. 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture of any, is of any private interpretation. None. None of it is of private interpretation. For the reason for this is verse 21. Prophecy, or you might put out to the corner of your Bible, Scripture, the Bible, God's Word. God's Word never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We could spend just all of our time on those six verses, but just suffice it to say that we can depend on Scripture. I appreciate uh, Brother David starting us this morning with looking at uh, those different ancient texts that go back 1,600 or 1,700 years, and we can rely on God's Word as being truth. And I think that most of us appreciate that, but it's the application of that and what that means for us moving forward and being dependent on it fully. Well, jump down to chapter 3 of Peter's brief letter, and he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder for this purpose, so that, verse 2, you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Now, these are really important passages. Uh, These are fundamental passages to understanding the idea of fully depending on Scripture. I want to pretend we were going to do just a, a sermon just on this, but really break that down into about five minutes and make four important observations about these two lessons. Number one is this. We can trust the eyewitness testimony of Peter and the many others who saw his majesty. And I put that word majesty in quotes because that's the word that the apostle Peter uses. We can trust them fully because they were eyewitnesses. There's a difference between an eyewitness and someone who talked to an eyewitness. And all of us have played the game of telephone. I can remember playing that when I was a very young boy at family reunions. And one person says something to the next and then says something to the next and the next person says something. By the time you get around the circle of about 15 people, the story has changed dramatically. And so that's the danger that we have. And we do not have to worry about those who Saul, Jesus, telling us things that weren't true because they were eyewitnesses. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and read uh, that particular passage, and you'll see there where you see dozens, if not hundreds of individuals who were eyewitnesses of Jesus. And so those of you that are younger, whether that be younger in age or whether that be young in the faith, and you may say, well, I don't really know if the Bible is true, if Jesus really lived, if he really died, and all those things, know this that it is verified by eyewitnesses that Jesus was real. He was from Nazareth. This man died. And we know from what is told in Scripture that he is indeed the Christ. And we believe that accordingly. Secondly, we need to understand that Scripture is to be seen for what it is. It is God's, quote, light that shines in a dark place. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, Psalm 119, 105. We actually sing that sometimes, do we not? 
because God's word is the light that shines in the darkness. You know, we are afraid of the dark. We are uncertain in the dark. We are more careful in the dark. We talk about how, in fact, statistically, crime goes up in the dark. And so there are all these different things that are associated with the dark. God says, I'm here with my word to shine out all the darkness and to illuminate the truth wherein you find life. We need to fully depend on Scripture. And number three, we need to be reminded of God's word. And that's one of the reasons why regular study and assembly is so important. I appreciate our recent meeting with Brother Donnie Rader and a number of things that he said. But one of the things that Brother Donnie pointed out is that when David or I or anybody else preaches and you hear something that you say, well, you know, I've heard that a dozen times in my life. Why do I need to hear that again? The reason we need to hear it is because the importance of being reminded of things. And that's true. And he gave examples of the importance of biblical authority and the importance of water baptism and why it is that there's the identity of the church and why there is only one church is found in, in scripture. These are all basic things that we've heard many times, but the fact of the matter is, is we need to be reminded of things. And that's why you being present today is so important. That's why Wednesday night services are so valuable because we come together to study our Bibles. That's why personal study is so important as well. And number four, I want to go back to chapter three, verse two, where he says, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, that particular phrase, we need to understand and remember that the apostles' doctrine is just as vital as Jesus' doctrine. You may say, well, I have no problem with that. Why would you even make that point? The reason I make the point is because you may or may not be familiar with the fact that some in the religious world say, I'll listen to what Jesus has to say, but I will not listen to what the apostles have to say. Or some will say, I'll listen to the red letters and obey the red letters, but I won't obey the black letters because they aren't inspired. You may run into people who teach that or believe that. And we understand that according to 2 Peter 3, verse 2, that is an invalid conclusion to come to. Jude 17, he says, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the words spoken by the apostles, because they are as valid as the words of Jesus. We're not suggesting that they are, in, that they are perfect men like Jesus, but they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21, and chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, reminding us of the importance of fully depending on Scripture. So the first thing that we need in our lives is to fully depend on the Bible and make sure that we follow it accordingly. Secondly, we need to actively live to reflect God and godliness. Now, this is where it starts becoming a little bit more challenging. So it's already challenging enough to study my Bible as I need to, but you want me to live like God and reflect his godliness? And the answer is absolutely yes. Not always easy to do, but always important to do. We won't read all of Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. In fact, we're familiar with the first uh, five verses, particularly the first seven verses. And we talked about that at the outset of the new year. But I want to go to about verse 8. 
For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, now verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I read that particular passage because it's important for us to understand that God provides us an entrance so that we have access to God. But I want to go back and pretend like we read the previous seven verses that I'm trusting you are already familiar with to make a couple of quick observations. One is verse 3 where he says, The divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by the glory and virtue. The verse that we actually started with this morning. All things pertaining to life and godliness are granted to each of us. That's key number one, right? That's studying God's word, relying on God's word, and having complete faith and dependability on the scripture. But drop down to verse 4, he says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. If you want to underline the word partakers, that to me is a powerful word, that we are partakers of the divine nature. We can partake of divine nature. That doesn't make us God, but it makes us godly, and it makes us associated with the very things that come from our Lord himself. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. This passage came to mind as I was thinking about this. He says, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are being transformed into the image of glory to glory. You and I are a part of a transformation process as Christians, where we're trying to look more and more like our Father. We're trying to be more and more like our Creator. To figure out what godliness is, we read verses 5, 6, and seven, which concludes with godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. I say all that because it takes us then to the text that we actually read, where in verse 11 it says, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord. We are granted access to be with God. Think about that for a moment. God is way up here, way over here in the sense that he is greater than us. He is more important than us. He is more powerful than us. And God says, I'm granting you access towards me. You can come and dwell with me. In fact, we're familiar with passages like John chapter 1, verse 14, where it says that Jesus came and he dwelled or tabernacled with us so that we could have a relationship with him and a relationship with our Father. And then verses 12 through 15, which we may come back and revisit, but verse 15, he says, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after 
my decease. I think it's interesting that Peter knew the importance of this even when he'd be gone. You know, there are a lot of things that we think about, or at least I think about, in terms of, of death. I've always been, for whatever reason, this is a little bit personal, but that's okay. I've always been very conscientious of, of death. Of, uh, we've had a lot of funerals here in the last few weeks. And if you're like me, I think, what's going to be said at mine? Uh, who's going to speak at mine? Will they say anything nice about me at all? Hopefully they will. But one of the things that I think about here is Peter says, I'm getting ready for my own demise. And what I want is not for you to be financially well or to be blessed with the things that are going to be left in my estate. You know, these are the things that we sometimes think about getting our affairs in order. But Peter says, I want it so that the truth continues to be taught when I am gone. That matters more to me than anything else. That's powerful to me, that Peter, who by this point is getting older, and he's near the end of his life, the Bible does not record his death. Secular history seems to suggest that it's not too far into the future, and that it would be the hand, at, at the hands of someone who would take his life away. That the fact is, as Peter says, I want it so that you have a reminder of these spiritual things when I am gone. So actively live to reflect God and godliness. Brings me to the third key, and that is be on the alert regarding false teachers. Now, I was thinking about this particular point in this rather general sermon as I was preparing this in the last couple of weeks. And one of the things that I thought of was this particular idea, and that is talking about or referencing false teaching, false preaching, false doctrine, isn't necessarily necessarily the most popular content for someone engaging in Bible study. We don't like to hear negative things as human beings. I'm not talking about us as Christians. As Christians, we say, yes, give me the negative because there's nothing that's really negative. Everything is positive. Even the negative is positive in the sense that when you talk about hell, it reminds me I don't want to go there. That's positive because I live my life correctly. But reference to preaching about false teachers may not be the popular thing. But Second Peter says a lot. If you want to go back and have an assignment, read all of 2 Peter over the course of the next five or six days, but really kind of hone in on chapter 2, where it's all about false teachers and false doctrine and false teaching in general. 2 Peter says an awful lot on the subject. If you would note three observations. Number one, regarding false teachers, it's not a matter of if, but when. Look at verse 1. We're not going to read all of chapter 2. We'll read maybe three or four or five verses here real quickly here. He says, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. There are individuals in the religious world today who are similar to the religious people 2,000 years ago who were engaged and are now engaged in false teaching. Just because you go to church and listen to a sermon doesn't mean that it is the truth. 
we have to, going back to the beginning of where we started this morning, verify that it is the truth. And if we verify it, then we live it out accordingly. But just because the preacher says something, just because the pastor says something, just because the priest says something, doesn't make it true. What makes it true is key number one, a full dependence on the word. Making sure that I do this and that I actively live to reflect God and godliness. Drop down to uh, verse 9 where it says here, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So false teachers, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when because they're going to be there. But secondly, we need to appreciate that Peter and the Holy Spirit here reminds us that punishment for false teachers is a certainty. And that means that we need to be careful. In fact, we are told, let not many become teachers because of the judgment that comes. And that's a sobering thought for those of us that preach or for those of us that teach Bible classes in a public forum such as this, or even when you are trying to engage in a personal study in your home, make sure you're teaching the correct thing so that we are obeying the doctrine that comes from our God. And then drop down to verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Now notice verses 20 through the end of the chapter where I want us to make a third observation. And that is if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. To me, these are some of the most frightening verses in the New Testament. These verses have always bothered me. For it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog that returns to its own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. This brings me to this third observation in chapter 2 about false teachers, and that is to believe, to be an, a, a, a dutiful follower of God, and even a teacher of the Lord, and then to fall away, either by being subjected to the false teachings of others or being actively involved in false teaching others, and you're the teacher, is of serious consequence. If I understand my Bible correctly, and sometimes I I don't always get it right because I'm, I'm a student like you, But if I understand this correctly, Peter is saying, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, that's great. That's wonderful. If you're thinking about becoming a Christian and then you want to teach and you want to preach and you want to share that message with others, that is wonderful as well. But do not make that choice and then choose to say, I quit. Because the latter is worse than the first. He says, you've got to be cautious about that. And no wonder why let every man be careful before he becomes a teacher. So to believe and then fall away is of serious consequence. 
which lends itself to the fourth and the final key that we should have in our lives, and that is be watchful and be ready. There have been those, and there will be those in New Testament times, in the times over the last 1900 years, and even in our own lifetimes, who wonder about or scoff at the notion of the Lord's return. This takes us to chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. And this is what they're going to say. They are going to uh, ask, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers have fallen asleep, all these continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You ever think about that? I've, I've thought about this before, that you have people who are 30, 35, 40 years removed from Pentecost and from Jesus' life on earth. And they're saying, it's been 30-some years and he hasn't come back. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we say, it's been 2,000 years he hasn't come back. Let's say the world continues to turn for another 1,000 years. And so in 3,022 AD, and whatever the world may look like at that point, you say, it's been 3,000 years. But of course, what does Peter say as to the Lord? A thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. And so we have to understand that it's on his time and not our own time. God, however, keeps all of his promises. He keeps his promises to provide for us, to help us, to bless us. And he's going to keep his promise about the return of Jesus about the end of the world, and about the day of judgment that you and I are one day going to stand before God. Look, if you would, in verse 8. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I want you to note if you would, three facts about that day as we read through verse 13. He says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I want you to notice three things before we wrap up with some final thoughts. One, that day will be like a thief in the night. Revelation chapter 16 talks about that. Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica, seems to reference the idea of a thief in the night. It is, as we recently talked about in one of our sermons, not something that you can prepare for, so you have to be prepared for. You, you aren't prepared for a thief, but you can prepare for a thief. You set the alarm, you lock your doors, whatever the case may be, because you don't want something bad to happen to your property to your pets, to your people, to the people that you care about. But you cannot prepare for a thief adequately because he's going to come when you least expect it. 
And that's the nature of the return of Jesus the Christ. And all that we know will be gone. Notice what happens here. He says, the works that are in it will be burned up. And since all these things will be dissolved, verse 11 and verse 10. But then notice verses 12 through 13, which I think is perhaps one of the most striking things about Peter's letter. And that is, he says, looking for, and the new King James uses the word hastening the coming of the day of God. What does it mean to hasten something? I want to hasten vacation time. I want to, I want to hasten uh, retirement, some of you may be saying. Something you're looking forward to, something that you want to happen quickly. And so we need to appreciate that what Peter, by way of the Holy Spirit, is telling us is that we are excited about the end. We're looking forward to it. That doesn't mean that you can't have some sense of, I still look forward to living the the remainder of my life, and I want to see my children and grandchildren grow up, and I want to see them become Christians. Uh, I want to see them, as Brother Allen talked about, with the blood of Jesus on them. You know, those are all great things to be thinking about in our lives temporarily on earth. But we are excited about the end. And as we get closer to the end of our physical lives on earth, we get excited about that as well. I've talked with a number of Christians well into their age, well, in, well into their, their years, and they'll say flat out to me, I'm excited about going home. I, I'm not worried about it. Granted, you know, I don't want to go through any physical pain, and it's, I don't want the pain for my family and my friends that are going to miss me when I'm gone, but I'm excited about that doesn't mean that I want it to happen necessarily tomorrow, but if it does, may the Lord do what he wants with his time. Because I have something greater coming. And it reminds me as one of my new favorite verses in 1 Corinthians 15 that we are of all men the most pitiable or miserable if we have life in this hope, a life in hope in this life only. And that's it's so very important for us to really appreciate. Let me share with you four final thoughts. Number one is this. Be a good student of God's word because it matters that we depend on it fully. Do not be guilty of studying the Bible just when you come together on Sunday morning or Wednesday evening. That is the bare minimum. And I think we can all agree to that. Now, I cannot find a passage that says, here are how many hours you are to study your Bible per week. I cannot find a passage that tells you that. But I think we can all agree that if we spend just an hour on Sunday morning and an hour on Sunday evening and an hour on Wednesday evening, can we all nod our heads and say, that's probably not enough? So I see heads nodding yes. Okay, so good. That's probably not enough. We need to be engaged in personal study, family study with with groups, with individuals that we trust, whether they be elders or preachers or sisters in Christ that we really depend on. Number two, act like the Lord so that others will see us as God. It doesn't mean we are, we, are, we are equal to God, but we are godly. We are to be reflectors of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, as we talked about in key number two. Number three, we need to be aware of false teaching, and we need to call it out for what it is. When someone says that baptism is not essential to salvation, we say that's not right. When someone says that it doesn't matter where you go to church, doesn't matter what you believe, doesn't matter if you believe anything in the first place, we say, nope, that's not true. We look at the scriptures and we say there are certain things that matter to God and they matter to us as well. 
And then always, always be ready for the end. And that may mean this morning you making your life right with God. You know, we have talked a lot about blood today. And I appreciate Brother Allen and Brother Mitch. I'm not sure how well that was, how, how that was planned, but it's worked out very well to, together that we've talked about the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from our sins. If you have not come in contact with that blood, you cannot have your sins washed away. And the only way to do so, as outlined in the scripture, is through baptism into Jesus Christ. There's nothing magical or special about the water that is behind me that we could baptize you into today. But it is water, which is so commonplace in the world that God said, that's what I want to use. Now, there are other aspects of the argument, 1 John chapter 4 and 5, that we could get into that get a little more sophisticated as to why water is used. But simply to put is this, that you need to repent of your sins to confess Jesus as the Christ and be baptized to have your sins washed away. If that's something that you've not done, and there may be some who are present this morning who've never made that choice, we would welcome the opportunity to help you, to strengthen you, and to study with you, or to watch you this morning be baptized. And that would be a glorious way to start this new week. But if you're already a child of God and you're not living correctly, some area in your life, maybe you're not being as watchful as you need to be, as studious as you need to be, as godly as you need to be, or on the alert against false teachers, we would welcome the opportunity to study with you, help you, and pray for you. If we can help in any way spiritually, let us know while together we stand while we sing.